you know, I, I started looking at ways of streamlining my house, right? I drove my wife nuts, but I was two second leaning my house, finding things that, that annoyed me. And, you know, I, I relayed out the, the, the way the kitchen appliances were on the counter in such a way that I could make my breakfast quicker in the morning. Right. It was just, right. it's all about processes. And, uh, that led me to my passion of, you know, tack time planning. Uh, I really feel like that's going to be the next wave of the industry that when people really, really figure out and really put the effort into making it successful instead of just saying it just won't work or giving up, I think that's where we're going to really see some change in this industry. Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple, collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French, and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last time Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. Today's episode is sponsored by Construction Accelerator. The design and construction industries come up with and build great things, but we also build in waste in how we do those things, in our interactions, in our contracts, in our logistics. So what does this do for our bottom line or our next project? The best firms maximize their value by removing that waste and only doing what's essential to the work, what makes them money. Construction Accelerator will train you to see the waste and give your teams the lean tools and experience to remove it immediately. All online, Construction Accelerator is made up of three to nine minute videos that can be watched again and again in the field, at the office, and at home, all broken down by topic. Need to learn pool planning? We have videos on the process, how to set up a room, and how to kick off a team. Need to set up a target value delivery project? We discuss all the aspects of TVD, especially cost. Or maybe you just need to brush up on 5S. Well, we have videos on that as well. You can download and print reference materials to use on site to immediately translate watching into doing. Subscribe today at trycanow.com. Let's build an industry, not just a project. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry and transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Pete Novaresi. Pete, it is my honor 
to have you finally come on the show. We have been lean brothers from another mother for so long. You have worked as a general contractor in your past. You've adopted lean. You're making waves now at a large healthcare company. You can name them if you want. It's totally cool. And you are making change happen in the industry. You're making my job way more exciting. So thank you for that. And we were talking before the show started about your favorite question to ask. Before we get into it, what is your favorite question that people should start with, Pete? You always should ask, what problem are you trying to solve? Yes. What problem are you trying to solve? Tell the people of the world a little bit about yourself. I've been in the construction industry for probably 30 years, over 30 years now. Uh, started my career as a lowly carpenter's apprentice. Worked my way up to superintendent uh, at a very young age, but had a little uh, industrial accident that uh, cut off my thumb, which forced me to go back to school or allowed me to go back to school and get my degree. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the rest is history. I, I really enjoy the construction industry. It's been part of my life. My, my dad was an architect, but he started out as a, as a carpenter. And so it just, uh, it's been in my blood. I just love it. I love to, at the end of the day, seeing something standing for the fruits of my labor, right? I can drive by places and point out to my family that I had a hand in creating that. That's beautiful, that, Pete. What is your favorite? Uh, do you remember some of your favorite projects that you got to put hands on? The most interesting was when I was a carpenter. I worked at a place, USS Posco in Pittsburgh, California. It was a steel mill where they uh, made uh, flat sheet steel. And uh, I got to work on a real big industrial. It was really interesting, you know, large foundations, you know, large concrete structures, uh, really uh, watched them build a, a tank, you know, a tank, a hydrochloric acid holding tank out of sheet steel, right? And, and they just flat steel that came and they welded eyelids to it with a come along and pulled it together. And that was, that was really, really interesting, you know, to, to work on a project like that. So I think that was my favorite is when I was in the trades. And then uh, for me, probably one of my favorite projects was the first major hospital I worked on, which was Sutter Davis Hospital in Davis, California. It, you know, it was a wheat field to, to 96-bed hospital, you know, and it was pretty exciting. I think it was more exciting because it was the first one. And then at UC Davis Med Center actually building a cogeneration facility also. That was pretty exciting. So I have a few that are near and dear to my heart. Yeah, Pete, uh, tell the good people of the interwebs. What is a cogeneration facility for those that might not know what it is? Uh, okay, a cogeneration facility is where they generate their own power. They they use power plants. You can use steam generators. This this one happened to uh, use a jet turbine, gas jet turbine that uh, generated, I forget how many megawatts of energy. Hot exhaust that would come off this generator, I mean off the turbine, was run through a steam uh, heat recovery steam generator and would generate steam to get basically four megawatts of energy for free off the byproduct of the, the uh, exhaust. So it was a really cool, interesting project. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. And that's right here in our own backyard at uh, University of California Davis Medical Center, you said? Yes. Is that here in Sacramento? Yep. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I've been through there many times. It's a, it's a large campus, you know, and uh, the, the payoff on it was 
I think they were projecting it'd be 10 years to pay off and it paid off in three years. Power almost for free for themselves. That's amazing. It's beautiful. And then pizza, you worked, uh, luckily a series of fortunate, unfortunate events put you back in school. What did you study in school? Uh, I was a construction management engineering student at, uh, Sac State. So I got my BS in construction management with a minor in business administration. That explains your proclivity towards spreadsheets that I know that, uh, you're very <laughs> passionate about even to this day. Yes. Yes. I, I do yeah. like to be a numbers nerd a little bit yeah for people that don't know there have been many phone calls that pete and i have shared screens and looked at spreadsheets together for fun because this is the type of people we are it's enjoyable it's it fun. is enjoyable yeah. i do fancy a good spreadsheet especially it's yeah. those that, that forecast so pete yeah. you uh you worked at a company that i've got mad respect for bolt can you talk about uh, some of your time when you were at bolt and we're getting we're, we're getting close to your your current state at bolt it was a, a really uh, you know, enlightening experience because it, you know, they were in my mind kind of some of the forefront of taking these lean concepts and, and, and test fitting them, seeing what worked and what didn't work. You know, I, I, I worked at another construction company that was pretty forward thinking, thinking GMP jobs were really, you know, the way to go, right? You guaranteed maximum price and you're looking out for the owner you're trying to save. But I think the lean took it to a different level, right? The, the, collaboration. You know, I have a tagline that I put on my uh, email response that says, none of us are as smart as all of us. And I truly believe that that's a big part of lean is the collaboration, right? Of getting everybody in the room to solve a problem. And that was one of the things that, you know, was forefront at Bolt is, you know, looking at problems and trying to solve them, getting people together, big rooms, you know, sharing ideas. Sounds funny, but we used Two second lean a lot, right? That when that book came out, when that first came out with Paul Akers, that to me was my Bible. I, I you know, I, I started looking at ways of streamlining my house. But I was two second leaning my house, relayed out the, the way the kitchen appliances were on the counter in such a way that I could make my breakfast quicker in the morning. Right. It was just right. that led me to my passion of, you know, tack time planning. I really feel like that's going to be the next wave of the industry that when people really, really figure out what it can really do for them and really put the effort into making it successful instead of just saying it just won't work or giving up, I think that's where we're going to really see some change in this industry. I think you're totally right. And you're, you're onto it. You're exactly where I wanted to go and see what was getting you excited about where the industry is going now. And, and for those that don't know what tack time is, it's using a rhythm or a, psych, a cyclic approach to planning that is a step beyond location-based planning. And it is different than critical path method scheduling because it shows you workflow, trade flow, and logistical flow all in the simple, typically single page plan, often on Excel, but it works so mm -hmm. well, Pete, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Can you talk about and a project that you used uh, tag time with or been involved in? Sutter Hospital in, in Midtown Sacramento, uh, Sutter, Sutter Women's and Children's. We had a superintendent on there that uh, kind of became, uh, I'd say, you know, he, the tag time zealot. He, he really, he, we had an exterior skin that he created a tag time for, and uh, it really worked out. I mean, it was tough. It, I think the hardest part about tack time is people realizing that if you're if you're committing to getting something done in a day, you, so that at your tack time is usually set at a five day tack, 
before you move out of that area into your next, the areas you create, is that if they're not getting done with what they need to get done, the square footage, say, of drywall hung that day, they need to stay longer and get it done because you might be paying a little overtime to have the craft stay there longer, but you're still shortening the overall duration of the schedule, which uh, in my career, I always had a hard time with extended general conditions for, you know, putting extended general condition claims to owners because they really don't get any benefit from it, right? Right. They're, they're paying us money to sit around on our thumbs. So I always approach delays with how do I do change or I mean, how do I work specific uh, overtime to get us back on schedule so that they're spending money that is actually worth something to them, right? Meaning they still get to hold the end date instead of paying us to sit on our thumbs and still not be able to gen generate revenue, right? And so that's kind of how I, I really look at tack time is tack time holds you, you know, done right, holds you to commitments and holds that duration and holds the schedule. I think right? that's, and, a, that's an exciting thing to, let's pause on that for a second, Pete, because ladies and gentlemen, Pete Novadesi, yeah is a recovering general contractor. He doesn't work as a general contractor anymore. But even yes. as a general contractor, his philosophy was that we should only do things that are valuable for the client. And I think that's a that's a departure from a lot of people in our industry, Pete, that, that we know make a good living by, by putting work in place, but it doesn't always serve the client. And I think that's, where do you think that you can pinpoint, if you could, that idea of serving the client? Where'd that come from? Where'd you learn that? I think it's it just, I looked at it from my perspective is when I had, you know, people do things for me or paid people to do things. I wanted them to look out for me, right? I wanted them. And I, I, it comes from my upbringing. My, my, my parents were the same way. They, they, they worked hard and they made sure that whatever they did, they did to the best of their ability and always tried to look out for their customer. Right. My dad was an architect and he was constantly, you know, making sure that what he was designing, his carpenter background really helped him to make sure that he was designing a set of plans that could be built. I just think it was upbringing and just how I was raised. I think that's a beautiful idea, Pete. And it's, it's worth saying a second time, like, let's do things in construction that let's look out for each other and let's include the client in who we're looking out for. And let's do things that are valuable. Nobody wants to have their time wasted. So let's be more intentional. I love that, Pete. That's awesome. Yeah. Kudos to your, your family upbringing, your, your situation. I like, I love that. I love that so much, Pete. If I had sound yeah. effects, I'd hit a, a cash register or something right now, but, <laughs> but I, I'm a sound effect free right now. They took away my soundboard temporarily. <laughs> Been a bad fleet day, but, uh, so I think that's, that's good. And then that tact project you said it was uh, Sutter Health Women and Children's. Is that the, what the name of? Yeah, I actually read yeah. about that in a and case study that was published on the International Group for Lean Construction. And from memory, I think they said that they tried the tax plan something like eleven different attempts on the exterior until it finally clicked in, and then it worked. Yeah, and the interiors was a little more difficult because the, the the status of the building and you know the plans and how they came out and, and the plans weren't they for an oshpod project they weren't up to the quality that you need and so the tack time really relies on on having clear space in front of you uh you know a clear unencumbered space with no constraints and there was just too many constraints on this project 
this project we was taken over from uh, you know both the architect and the contractor were replaced on this so there was a new architect and new contractor us being the new contractor come in and it made it very difficult because we inherited a set of plans that weren't what you'd really want for attack time but you know I'd have to give the the superintendent kudos is he he gave it a, a hell of a try right yeah what was his name you know, some uh, Dan Murphy. Dan Murphy. Shout out to Dan Murphy. Just yeah. taking taking the attack plan by the horns. And I think I yeah. remember from the paper, I read this paper. It was actually recommended to me by uh, Thais, who teaches at the, I think she teaches in construction engineering down in San Diego. And she sent me the paper. She's like, you should read this paper and understand what they're doing with tact. And uh, I got the paper and I, I think from memory, Pete, and you can tell me the schedule on the exterior before tax showed something like a one plus year duration. And then once, mm -hmm. even with all the attempts, I think the, the exterior schedule wrapped up in less than three months. Yeah. Once we got the tack down, I don't know the exact duration, but it, it went a lot quicker because we started panelizing things and, and prefabbing, you know, and again, I think that it would have been a, a huge success if we were able to, design it in. I mean, I was just having a conversation today with one of my coworkers. You know, we we tend to to not think about safety and, and quality, right? Those are afterthoughts or they get brought up during the construction kickoff. But safety and quality really should be part of the design. I mean, I know when I was at Bolt, we looked at uh, when we we're designing the Cathedral Hill Hospital in uh, San Francisco, which I think now is Van Ness, called Van Ness and Geary or whatever, C right. CPMC, uh, is let's try to model in areas where we could have tie-off points for our trades as they're erecting, they're installing their work. So they're not having to worry about whether they're tying off or connecting their lanyard to a, a all-thread rod that maybe isn't designed for it, right? That we have these things. Didn't necessarily work out like we wanted but it's again it's thinking about those things in design so that when you get into construction it's just execution right that's that's where you know the lean theme of go slow to go fast is thinking about those things up front right i think so. a lot of people might not know that phrase pete can you expand on that go slow to go fast a little bit I, it's i think you're the first yeah. one to bring it up on my show go slow to go fast just means that really think and plan before you act. It's part of, it, it goes hand in hand with what problem you're trying to solve, right? I've, I've seen people jump into solving problems that, that aren't really the problem that they were trying to solve and they solve it, but they're still not able to move forward because they didn't ask that one simple question. What problem are you trying to solve? They just react. And it, you know, it, uh, I learned that from a, a, an old, old time Italian superintendent. His name was Bob Grassi. That that always said, "You got to stop and think before you act, no matter what." You know, there's there's certain times when you, you know, in a in a crazy situation, uh, uh, you know, accident happens, collapse, or you got to react, but you still should think. You know, it's. No different than if you're in a crazy situation, you have a building collapse, you just don't go running into that building. You got to think, survey the damage, you know, and assess before you go in, right? Because you just cause more damage. You could cause more damage or lose more people. 
So it, it really is slow to go fast. Think about what you're doing and make sure you're solving the right problem. And, and for people who might listen to this podcast, I challenge you to, at your next meeting, get out little post-it notes and write, have people write what problem they think they're trying to solve in that meeting. And I guarantee you, if you have 10 people in that meeting, you're probably going to get at least seven different renditions of an answer of what problem they're trying to solve. And it helps you to solidify and say, okay, now we need to get together and all agree what problem we're trying to solve so we're all rowing in the same direction. And I think Bob was a man ahead of his time because that is even what we know now in cutting-edge science on fast and slow thinking and just pausing yourself because your brain tries to shortcut, conserve calories, and we have to like really force it to do what it's programmed to do, get super creative. And problem solving, for some people, is like a sport. And it's exciting. It's yeah. fun to have problems to solve, yeah. isn't it? Well, yeah, well, you get the, the people that are firefighters. I mean, I think that's maybe when, one of the things that uh, has led me to this is that uh, at Bolt, I, I tended to be a firefighter, but I also got put in a lot of situations that forced me to be a firefighter. It wasn't like I was, want, was looking for it, but it it made me realize you got to stop and think before you, you act and you got to think about what you're doing. But it doesn't mean to, that you just have time to just sit back and relax and just let it come to you. You still have to drive the situation, but you have to do it smartly. I just want to acknowledge that uh, I think it's your bulldog snoring in the background. Yes. Should I? Uh... No, it's totally cool, man. To- this is a dog-friendly show. I've said many times before. <laughs> it is. It's a bulldog, right? Yes. Uh, here, I'll give everybody a little. Yeah. I got two of them. <laughs> Didn't sleep on the there floor. There you go. <laughs> no, you just let them do their thing, man. This is okay. good, good relaxing time. They can just relax to the sound of Felipe's voice. It's okay. a... <laughs> you probably did put them in a deeper sleep than they usually are. There we go. So they'll they'll wake up refreshed and ready for you to take them out and have some adventures in the backyard. But I can't say work for a healthcare organization on the owner's website. You can say that. Yeah. Oh, good, because you just said it. <laughs> so Pete, can you talk now about, uh, you transitioned out of being a general contractor and now you're working on the owner side. Can you talk about, uh, what that transition has been like and, uh, what's some, and I, and I'll also want to hear as you're talking about that. And I'll, I'll remind you, if you forget, give some advice to general contractors that misunderstand what's important to owners and what's not being a recovering general contractor right and being on the owner side now i really see a lot of i see people again that that they don't they only think about what they've done in the past right they don't try to to look at better ways of doing things right and and I've, i've had lots of conversation with general contractors uh now from this side of the fence of saying like the same thing that I used to do is, hey, instead of coming at us with this delay claim of extended general conditions, what can we do to speed this up? And and for the least amount of money, I said, you know, let's look at, you know, maybe the the tile sub, you know, on your bathrooms that are on the critical path. Maybe in, have them do overtime because your crew is only a crew of three, as opposed to instead of accelerating your drywall guys, that's a crew of twenty three, right? Let's let's really think about it. Who's who makes the smartest person to 
to uh, accelerate, right? And then, then talked about the the productivity. We had uh, a section, a, a project where they had a bunch of pavers on the exterior of the building, and they kept slipping the schedule and kept slipping the schedule. It's like, can't you guys figure out what they need to do? And I said, so I suggested to them break down, ask them how many square feet a person could get a day and break that down and spray paint a line in their sand bed to say, you need to get to this, this line by the end of the day. And each day mark that line so that we, you know, that they're going to meet their, their schedule. The schedule that they produced or proposed. Hey, real quick. Construction is one of the only industries that's become less productive over the past six decades. 60% of construction job cost is labor. 80% of construction projects are over budget. 60% aren't on time. Struxy replaces paper time sheets and manual data entry with easy to use software. How much are inefficient job sites costing you? One of our customers estimates they'll save millions per year with Struxy. Read the case study at our website, Struxy.com. That's S-T-R-U-X-I dot com. Software for hard work. You can also visit us at World of Concrete in Las Vegas come January. It is a little frustrating on this side to, to, to not see that that necessary looking out for the best interests of the owner. Yeah. And I think, you know, different uh, contractors have different capabilities and you've got yes. uh, Pete, you have an amazing experience. Like every time I talk to you, I learn something new and not every contractor has the ability to be learning. Some of them are just getting by with keeping up with the work. And there is a lot of work in the industry, right? Right now it's 2021 and there are over 1 million unanswered jobs in construction here in the United States because of a, a lack of ready skilled labor to, to, to fill those jobs. So it's a, it's a, it's a really in, weird market that we're in right now as far as labor. And so there's, there's more work. I mean, you know, it on your side, there's more work than people that can do it. The learning part is not every company like where you worked before. I think there is an emphasis on learning at work and experimenting with things like, like your superintendent, Dan with tact, most general contractors would have a hard time doing that. Now that's starting to shift now, but it's still not uh, prevalent across the industry. I think like for everybody listening yeah. out there, if Pete shows up on your job and he asks you some questions, you better write them down because they're going to be really good. And they're going to actually help you, finish faster because Pete's mind just works that way if you don't know. So if you're out there, general contractors and trade partners, don't get annoyed with the questions. He's helping you to see the work. And you talked about uh, spray painting the sand. That's using visual controls to help people see what the goals and targets are. I mean, it's just, yes. it seems like common sense to those of us that study this you know, day in and day out. But to a lot of people, they don't have that experience yet. What's a good resource? I mean, you mentioned two second lean earlier. What do you, what do you think is a good resource for general contractors or trade partners to learn more about some of these concepts, Pete? Oh God, there's a, a whole host of books out there, but you know, LCI puts on a lot of events that, 
you know, people come in and share. I mean, that I think LCI is one of the, the better spots to be because people are willing to share what they've learned, right? And, you know, um, just creating communities of practice. Where I work now, you know, we, you, you know, Felipe, because you help, helped us <clears throat> to kick them off and create them. You know, but we have communities of practice that we share and we expect all our general contractors to share. And at first, it was very funny to watch because they were all kind of reluctant to share some of their stuff. But then as you get one to, to share a little bit, then the other, then it becomes a competition. And now they're they're sharing a lot, right? We we have a, it, we're, we're trying to do it monthly, but now it's, you know, it's a lot of work. But each quarter we're sharing, we're having a general contractor present something that they're doing. Uh, I think next up will be Whiting Turner sharing on um, lessons learned and not from what people think of lessons learned per se of, you know, here's what we learned on this project, but how to, how to run lessons learned and how to implement the learning. So it's not the, the lessons learned, it's actually how to do the lessons learned and how to implement it. So it's, it's, you know, a different take on it. And I think it's great that they're willing to share what they're doing. You know, we, we got contractors that are constantly willing to share with us to in betterment of the whole, right? It's so like they it's, say, Pete, I think you might have said it to me one time, like the rising tide lifts all the ships in the harbor. Exactly. Right. And, and you know, people, the, the biggest thing I, I want to share with people is break, break things down into manageable chunks, Right. And and there's a lot of information out there. You know, I'm, I'm working with a, we have our corporate scheduler that reviews all the general contractor schedules all the time. You know, I was sharing with them that, hey, you have Timberline estimating everybody builds their crews. Right. That's how they that's how they use their unit rates when they bid. And Timberline will spit out the man hours needed to complete a task. Well, you can take those man hours and if you're savvy, you can break those man hours into, I'm going to have five guys, so five guys can do this. You can break your schedule down instead of the old way of a superintendent saying, I think it's going to, it feels like that many days, and, and that's what I'm going to put in the schedule, right? Right. But you can really break these schedules down. That's what I was trying to explain about the pavers, is all I was doing is breaking it down to square foot of paving that a person, the pavers, a person can put in a day. And then how many guys I have or how many craft you have that day, you should be able then to get X amount of square feet. So that way you can paint the line in the sand and know that that's what they're going to get. And then to get certainty in the schedule is they don't go home until they get to that line, right? And that way you guarantee certainty in schedule. But it's all methodically done and thought through, not just, hey, it feels like they should be able to get to here and paint a line in the sand. You have to break it down and into very small chunks and, and very doable management. That's you know, right. Because it does you no good to to paint a, a, a line in the sand and say, you need to get to here today when there's no way in hell with the size of crew that they have, they can get there in even 12 hours, right? And work them overtime. It, it, you have to think about what you're doing. Right. And it forces the, the leader of that site to plan logistics a little bit better and make it easier for the crews to get that work done. Yeah, slipping schedules is, is, it just seems to be the norm, right? Is that instead of analyzing it and figuring out what went wrong, people just, I say there's two ways to run a schedule. You can let the schedule 
come to you, meaning if something happens, you just say, well, it happened and I'm just going to push the end date out, or you can drive the schedule, right? You can say, okay, this came up, but what can we do, you know, what problem can we solve to make sure it doesn't happen again and, and make sure we, we stay on schedule or catch back up to schedule? I think there's too much allowance in our industry to just say, oh, well, we're just going to have to move the schedule. Right. Instead of coming together as a collaborative group to say, what can we do, what problem can we solve to stay on schedule, to bring our schedule back? Right. There, there are people implementing TACT. Uh, I can't name their name as much as I want to, but there's, a, there's an organization in the world that has done TACT on over 100 projects, and they drive the schedule. And they drive the schedule in a way that doesn't overburden their people. And on those projects, they have finished ahead of schedule every single time because they're solving the problem of where do we need to put things? How many people do we need? How much space should we be going after on a daily basis? How many, how much area should we be accomplishing in five days? And just thinking cyclically is a totally different approach. They are definitely driving the schedule and they've got over 100 success stories to prove it. And so I think, Pete, that we're going to start to see a shift. You said it earlier today. You're most excited to see tact coming in full swing across the United States, and it's yep. definitely happening. I want to give a positive shout-out to my friend Jason Schroeder and Spencer Easton that are working to make tact more available for everybody. And I'll put a link to their YouTube channel, Lean Tact, for people to get more information about what Pete, what are Pete and I talking about. You can see it in living color in video form with examples. But Pete, you also mentioned that, uh, you know, some people just passively let schedules drive them. And there was, in, there was research done by LCI, Dodge Data and Analytics in partnership with University of Minnesota. And they've done this before and the Construction Industry Institute has done some research before. And they find that about three out of four projects in large commercial construction. So these are projects greater than $20 million in size, uh, deliver late. And I've seen research on the CII from the, on the mega side, projects that are a billion dollars and larger, 98% of those projects fail to deliver on time. What type of, uh, how does that feel to you intuitively with what you've seen in your general contracting days and on your owner side now? Yeah, no, that, that, is right in line with what I what I would imagine that there's more more projects deliver late than they do early. That's for definitely for sure, and it and it's you know I, I see it and and part of it is our our especially more recently too and part of our industry Felipe got got cratered when you know in two thousand eight when the the bottom dropped out of everything yep. we lost a lot of I'd call it mid level management knowledge. Right, because you had these guys that had all the knowledge, so the companies had to keep them because they're the ones that had the knowledge, and they need. And they kept all the young apprentice type because they were the cheapest, right? So that mid level, the people that were just gaining some knowledge or had some knowledge but were working and gaining, got removed from the market per se, and we're still feeling the effects of that because then what happened is really knowledgeable people started to tap out, right? They retired and everything else. And so you have this loss of information. And I think there's, 
you know, I, I, I see, I talk about, I joke that it's a, it's a kinder, gentler thing too, is people don't know how to, 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 to get their point across and, and make sure that people understand it's a business, right? That's what I keep trying to explain to our, my project manager when I, when I was on the general contractor say, it's business, it's not personal, right? And that's right. how we have to look at it, right? You're holding people accountable and you're allowing them to make their commitments, but once they make their commitment, you need to hold them accountable, right? You don't have to be a jerk about it, but it is business. And, and if they can't do it, you got to get somebody who can. Right. And that just builds good trust. When people hold their word yeah. and keep their commitments, trust increases in the ability to do more good work increases with it. Good, great side effect. But when people are dishonest or they're not safe to tell you that things aren't working out, then it doesn't give anybody any leeway to try to problem solve or do anything different. And by the time you find out, it's too late to react. And I think, Pete, I think you and I are drawing a line in the sand. I feel like we're standing behind a line and we're saying that we're not going to let bad schedules pass anymore. Are we on the same right. side? Yes, yes. Yes. yes, we're 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 looking at ways of. Uh, I'm working with Easy, uh, our, our scheduler, and looking at ways of of saying, how do we make sure that these schedules, you know, are right? And we're reviewing. We're we're setting up meetings, monthly meetings, right now. If uh, projects are going okay, we we meet monthly to make sure they're on track. But we've instituted a couple times now projects that are are behind schedule, we instituted uh, on a, like three projects now, a daily huddle that included the architect, the contractor, and anybody else that, and, you know, owner's rep, and anybody else that was needed to discuss, to, to get through each problem, that each constraint that was holding up the project, right? We weren't going to take it anymore. We weren't going to allow it just to to do, because what we find is that, People are busy, right. and if you don't stay on, get their commitment and check in with them each day, you're going to be put to the bottom of the list. They're going to they're going to always do what you know they've got planned, and and if you're not on their plan, you're not getting what you need. And in order to keep schedules going, you have to have a daily commitment. And so you know, yeah, I'm not taking it anymore. It's we're we're meeting our schedules. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Pete is not taking it anymore. And neither am I. There are ways so that you can recover and get done faster that don't cost mm -hmm. anything. And Pete, I'm so glad yeah. that you said daily huddle. The daily huddle and the daily stand-up, there are two different systems that I'm in love with. And you know which one. The first one is Scrum, obviously. Yes. I love. I mean, you know yes. how much I love Scrum. In Scrum, mm -hmm. there is this meeting called the Daily Scrum. And it's a 15-minute mm -hmm. meeting where the people on the team talk about what did they do yesterday to work towards the goal, their commitments? What are they working on today? What roadblocks are blocking them for their future work? And that's it. It's past, present, and future. And then the last planner system, or what people on the street call pool planning, there's this daily huddle meeting where people talk about what commitments are they working on now? What did they get done? What work is upcoming and that they're still committed to doing the work? Boy, it sounds so dramatically similar doesn't it Pete? yes it does it does but that idea of having that meeting with the right people and you're i think you're spot on with pulling in the designer 
the project manager on the owner side and then anybody else, you're increasing the communication flow so that people know like what is the hot thing right now. And on a job that's late, when when a job's behind schedule, and I've been on a job one or two, Pete, believe it or not, that wasn't like, you know, finishing early. When everything is going badly, it's hard to tell when you're in it to know what's the right thing you should be working on. What problem are you trying to solve, right? Exactly. Because there, there's a book I read called the, the Way of the Seal. It's about Navy SEALs. And they talk about when they have, when they're engaged in a firefight, it says it looks like we're, we're engaging multiple targets at once. He says, but we are taught that you eliminate the biggest threat and you don't move off that threat until it is completely eliminated. And you try to do it as quickly as you can, but you got to eliminate the biggest threat. And I, I read that book because the that Sutter project that I was on, because the design was so bad, we had multiple areas that we had to try to figure out. But I worked with that same superintendent, Dan Murphy, and we'd meet daily at the end of the day and walk the job together so that Dan could point at me and say, here's where this is where the next problem is. This is where the team needs to focus. This is what I need you to clear out of my way because this is where I'm going to be at the next day. Right. And, and I, it, it, the communication is, is key to making this all work Felipe. And I, I was a big advocate too of a superintendent on, you know, projects that are medium size. It works really well, but, the superintendent should be working with the project manager, walking with the project manager and the project engineer, if not on a daily basis, at least a couple times a week, walking the project and looking because we all get caught up and have a lot of stuff on our minds and there's things that we need to do that we forget about, right? We'll be out there and it's like, oh yeah, I got to release the contract for this or I got to do that or get the, the elevator contract out because, but we forget. Or the superintendent goes out there and he stopped. He's got a thing, but he forgets to tell the project engineer, I need you to write an RFI on this. But by walking the project, you can see, and as a project manager, you can ask the superintendent, why isn't that window installed in the building? It's like, oh, yeah, remember, I got, that's right, I got this. It reminds, it, it, it opens up that communication amongst each other. Uh, I did, you know, in my career, because I was a carpenter, I think I enjoy walking the job to see the progress, but it really helped me to make that communication solid with the superintendent so that we were both on the same page and rowing in the same direction. That's beautiful. So daily huddles, those things are key. Daily walks are, are, day, are, are key, you know, uh, to, to being successful. Communication, right? I knew a team, there was a team that was struggling with the schedule and the superintendent and the project manager got replaced. And I got to see like the before and after. And one of the things that I saw on the after, on the, on the cleanup crew was daily walking the site. Every single day, the superintendent and the project manager would walk the site and the project got better. It actually sped up, like, just like you said, because we do get busy and we get pulled in all kinds of different directions. But when you can go experiencing the stuff together, it makes it more like sensory and real and pressing. And it's easier to prioritize when you can see the needs in real time. And you can see their vision of where they need to go, what they want to do. And you can have discussions about the vision. It's like, look, there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to get, you know, the, this Oshpod change order, there is there a way we can you can work on this over here in this section 
because you're going to have to figure out a way and you can have those conversations, right? But if you're not walking and spending time with them, you'll never know. If you're, if I'm down on one end of the trailer trying to solve problems, you know, trying to get this change order approved through Oshpod and he's thinking it's going to be approved and he doesn't know where I'm at with it and he's planning, you know, the superintendent's planning going that way, it's just going to fall apart. You have to be committed to one another. And, and Pete, I think uh, that, that's awesome. And for people that uh, don't build hospitals in California, can you tell people what Oshpod is in just like general terms? Oshpod is a, is the governing uh, entity that oversees all healthcare, acute healthcare construction, and uh, so they're their own entity that does. So on a normal project, you have the city inspector comes out and does that. Well, Oshpod has their own inspectors, and they're they're very prescriptive of what they want and how they want to build. And and there's two ways to build Oshpod projects: you make it look like the picture. Or you make the picture look like it, and it's a lot more expensive to make the picture look like it, meaning they they have to review. On a normal project, you write an RFI, the architect answers it, you go institute it, you put it in place. On an Oshpod project, you write an RFI, the designer answers it, then you submit it to Oshpod for them to concur that the answer is okay, and they have 30 days they can take to, to review this to concur that it's okay, and so you can see how if they took the full 30 days, how that could really impact the schedule. And so it's, it's a challenge. So you have to be really, really on top of things and make sure you have a clean set of drawings that are very descriptive, that can be inspected and have all the information that you need. And I think too, that's a perfect explanation. And Oshpod inspectors typically directly work for the client, right? So that way the, there's no, what do they call that uh, conflict of interest? Right. Yeah, there's no conflict of interest. But they don't work for the general contract, but they work for the owner, which still seems to be a conflict of interest, but they are beholden to Oshpod. Oshpod directs and and controls their life, meaning they have their Oshpod certificate that says I can be an inspector, but Oshpod has to approve them for your project. So, yeah, it's they're, they, they follow, they toe the line with Oshpod. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's for all of our safety, but... It is, you know, an added step that makes you be a better planner. You have to be a better planner if you're going to be successful doing Oshpod work in the state of California. It's another government entity, Pete. Yes, it is. That's beautiful. Pete, I wanted you to give a little more, if you could, on things that contrast, you know, from a general contractor's perspective to an owner's perspective. I think a lot of people out there make a lot of assumptions about what it's like to be on the owner side. What's something that uh, wasn't obvious when you were a GC that is more obvious now and that GC should know? Uh, on the owner side, we, the, our, our project managers have to, to juggle a lot more, right? They, you know, it's, they have a lot of things that they're beholden to. You know, the, the, the big thing that was an eye-opener to me is uh, – the amount of time they have to spend on fixtures, furniture, and equipment, right? I mean, they're responsible to make sure all that stuff. I mean, we have lots of subject matter experts and people writing the POs, but they still have to coordinate all that furnishings that come in at the end end of the project, right? And and they really have to, you know, at least with the, the, the firm that I work for, we have 
each service area is is almost like a franchise, you know, right? They they have their budgets, and they have to come up with what they need done for their facility at that spot. And so the project managers have to spend a lot of time figuring out what projects go forward and and how to get them done in, in you know a quick amount of time. So there's a lot of things that that it seems like owners are distracted or, or can't give you the time of day or it's hard for them to make decisions. Well, it is because they have a lot of people they have to answer to and a lot of things they have to, they're responsible for. So they are spread very thin. So I think that's the, the difference. We, we look for our general contractors to be our advocates, right? To look out for us and help us. And I would say that the big thing that I would, tell general contractors is that pre-construction is not an estimating service. Meaning when we look for pre-construction services, we're not looking for you just to estimate what's on the plans. We're looking for you in pre-construction to say, hey, by the way, your plans are <coughs> you know missing a few things. You should think about, you know, did you really mean to leave off the nurse call system? Right? It's like, oh, no, <laughs> no, we didn't. But thank you for pointing that out. But I think a lot of general contractors look at pre-construction as just an opportunity to provide estimates. And that's really not what an owner is looking for. An owner is looking for you to make suggestions, to look out for our best interest, to say that, hey, by the way, you realize that you're designing this building and you don't have any shutoff valves on this hundred or $400,000 our 400,000 square foot building, you have two shutoff valves for the entire Medgas system. So that means that every time you want to modify this in the future, you don't have shutoff valves on the systems. Did you mean to leave those out? Is this a cost savings thing? But bring them up, right? Just because it's not shown on the plans doesn't mean we don't want it. Just means that we got busy and maybe didn't, we overlooked it. So pre-con is really truly pre-con. We're looking for you to do Structability review of not just what's on the plan, but what should be on the plan. Pete is dropping the nuggets. <laughs> That's a definite nugget. And then, Pete, how many stakeholders would you say uh, a typical owner's project yeah. manager is having to navigate on, like a small medical office building versus a large uh, tower? Is there a significant number increase in the stakeholders? And like, throw some numbers of people that they're they're trying to manage. Yeah, the owner's PM, just to get a nice sense, because yeah. I think a lot of people, we see the the single owner's rep, and they represent everything for that client to yeah. us. And we don't we don't know that behind them there's a whole bunch of people that they're bolded to. Like you right. said, like how many people on a like a medical office building does a PM have to navigate? Yeah, for the owner's side, even though we, you know, the medical office building is usually non-occupied, we still have IORs that are responsible for that. So they got to interface with IORs, they have to interface with the service area admin, so there's two or three people there. The facilities, no matter if it's a new facility or not, there's a facilities manager that is going to dictate that. Then we have all our subject matter experts that, you know, dictate the design. So we, we have our, you know, they're, they're interacting with our internal design folks you know, our, our, I should say our internal DSS design services, the managers of, of, say it's a remodel of a space, the manager that manages that, they're dealing with them, you know, and then they, 
they have to deal with me, who's an outside, you know, director of construction management, you know, that they have to answer to. And then they have team managers they have to answer to. So, you know, there's seven or eight people right there. And then you have environmental health and uh, safety that they got to deal with. So I'd say anywhere, they could be anywhere from 10 to 20 people that they're, they're having to, to interface depending on the size of the project. And that's on a small oh, IT. Sorry, forgot about IT. Oh, yeah, and IT. Like everything happens today with a lot of technology. So we're talking yes. about a couple dozen people on the small side and then a large hospital. Does the number get into like like the hundreds of people? It could, yeah, because you're you're still interfacing with a bunch of different departments, right? You have to, you know, and, and there there's levels of it, that, but you still have to, to take into account all these people's input and, and you have to make sure they're they're happy and you've you've designed it properly to meet their needs right on all our buildings we design we have you know our our own MEP people that you know dictate what our MEP systems are going to be and how they're going to act you know and we have our quality people and our safety people and our uh, you know construction management people convoluted you know and so it's tough for them it's complex. Yes. Convoluted, complex, harder to communicate with so many people, moving parts and pieces. So my heart goes out to all the project managers on the owner side to navigate yeah. that much. And I'm sure there's also politics involved as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just makes there's, it. There's a lot of politics because everybody wants their project to go first. And, you know, and, and they want it yesterday. You know, you, you can imagine, especially with COVID, think about what, what happened with COVID, all the things that had to go on and get put in place and all the, you know, if I was smart, I would have bought uh, stock in plastic companies, you know, <laughs> yeah. for all the, you know, the plastic barricades that we put up. But yeah, it's, it just, there's a lot of stuff. So I, I really feel for our project managers. I do too. And I think that uh, a lot of people don't realize you know, all that they have to navigate because we just see them or, you know, correspond a lot through, you know, just the meetings or, or email. And it doesn't, it doesn't show like all the people that they have to interface with. So, you know, thank you for yeah. bringing that to light. Yeah. Well, the big thing is, Felipe, is be easy on them when they, when doesn't seem they can make a decision. It's not like they have the ability to just make the decision on their own. There's a lot of stakeholders they have to get through. So it's frustrating for them too, that they can't get you the answer right away, but always ask, what can I do to help them? Right. Is there things I, you know, is there, cause it's always about info, right? The, the person that they're going to have to go to that person is going to want info on, well, how much is this going to cost me? Or, you know, or how can I speed up the schedule? Right. So give them info up front. Don't wait for them to ask, say, by the way, the cost is going to be this. And we can do it in this amount of time, you know, try to be proactive to help the owner. Right. I love so. that. And then Pete, I just want to ask you last question on, you know, looking out to the future, you're very lean minded where you're, you're focused on value for the client. How much in the future do you think lean's going to play on the future of construction? What's your opinion based on your perspective? I think it's, the, it's, the only way to go now because it, it's it, it, the amount of communication that you that we do the amount of litigation that's out there it forces us to 
to have to communicate more and more. And Lean's trying to get rid of it, but but really the 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 thing with Lean is that, that the problem that I think Lean's trying to solve is how do I take what our contracts and laws say and make it so it's easier to do, right? And look at new ways of, of doing it. So I I think Lean is the only way, and, and it's all about the collaboration. We again, I go back to none of us are as smart as all of us, and you know it's just like. I always give the scenario if you have a, a stud running back in the NFL and you have a, a center a quarterback and the running back it's going to be very hard for him to gain a yard without his linemen and all the other peripheral people helping him to be successful you can't be successful on your own and I think that's what lean and and uh, I, I think the biggest aspect of lean that we have to establish is trust because I think all the other tenants of lean that are established through trust, right? Without trust, you can't have collaboration. And if you don't trust somebody, you're sure in the hell not going to collaborate with them, right? Right. And if you can't collaborate with people, you're not going to innovate. And so it just it just snowballs. So uh, I think if we could, you know, I always tell people, read the book, The Speed of Trust. If you can create that kind of atmosphere, the sky's the limit on a construction project. That's one of my favorite uh, books, Pete. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. And so I think we got the the show title is going to be Lean is the Way to Go or Trust. Trust me, Lean is the Way to Go. Pete Novadezzi, yeah. thank you so much for coming on to the show and sharing your thoughts and your excitement around tag time and trust. Those are two big things. And I love that uh, we're solving a problem every day. Yeah been a pleasure, Felipe. It's always great talking to you. Just remember, what problem are we trying to solve? Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.